Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The reason why is because they do such a great job, and you can find out more and give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Lawrence Mead. He's a New York University professor of politics and author of Burdens of Freedom. We'll be visiting about the border crisis and American culture. Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon, will be with us, as well as the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will join us as well. It is December the 2nd, and on this day in 1823, during his annual address to Congress, which we call now the State of the Union Address, President James Monroe proclaimed a new U.S. foreign policy initiative that became known as the Monroe Doctrine, primarily the work of Secretary of State John Quincy Adams, the Monroe Doctrine forbade European interference in the American hemisphere, but also asserted U.S. neutrality in regard to future European conflicts. The origins of the Monroe Doctrine stem from attempts by several European powers to reassert their influence in the Americas in the early 1820s. In North America, Russia attempted to expand its influence into the Alaska Territory, and in Central and South America, U.S. government feared a Spanish colonial resurgence uh, Britain, too, was active, seekly, seeking a major role in political and economic future of the Americas, and Adams feared a subservient role of the United States in the Anglo-American alliance. The United States invoked the Monroe Doctrine to defend its increasingly imperialistic role of the Americas in the mid-19th century, but it was not until the Spanish-American War in 1898 that the United States declared war against a European power over its interference in the American hemisphere. The isolationist position of the Monroe Doctrine was also a cornerstone of U.S. foreign policy in the 19th century, and it took two world wars of the 20th century to draw a hesitant America into the new role as a major global power. The Monroe Doctrine on this day in 1823. Well, the Supreme Court Justice Supreme, uh, Clarence Thomas asked one primary question during the oral arguments in the uh, Supreme Court case yesterday as the justices took up hearings at the uh, watershed case on abortion rights in the United States, and he asked more than once, Dobbs v. Jackson a Women's Health Organization deals with the constitutionality of a law enacted in Mississippi in 2018 that prohibits abortions in cases where the probable gestational period or age of the unborn human was more than 15 weeks. Justice Thomas was specifically interested in the question of what constitutional right the right to get an abortion is based on. He asked counsel, I know your interest here is in abortion. I understand that. But if I were to ask you what constitutional right protects the right to abortion, is it privacy? Is it autonomy? What would it be, he asked. It's liberty, Your Honor. It's the textual protection in the 14th Amendment that a state can deprive a person or cannot deprive a person of liberty without due process of law and the court has interpreted liberty to include the right to make a family decision and the right to physical autonomy, including the right to end a pre-viability pregnancy, counsel answered. 
Later, he asked General Counsel the same question again, looking for clarity as to what the constitutional right backs the abortion. Generally asked, would you specifically tell me, specifically, state what the right is that specifically abort is that uh, liberty is, the, is that autonomy? Is it privacy? The right to is grounded in the liberty component of the 14th Amendment, Justice Thomas, and that, I think, is the promotes interest in autonomy, bodily integrity, liberty and equality, and I don't think it's specifically right to abortion here that the right of a woman to be able to control without the state forcing her to continue a pregnancy, whether to carry the baby to term, the counsel responded. That's not enough clarity for Thomas, and he pressed, I understand that we're talking about abortion here, he said, but what is confusing is that if we're talking about the Second Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about. If we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, I know exactly what we're talking about, because it's written, it's there. But what specifically is the right that we're talking about? So the right specifically is abortion, Thomas asked. It's the right of a woman prior to viability to control whether to continue with a pregnancy. Yes, counsel responded. <clears throat> well, a couple of observations. Number one, it's pretty clear where Thomas stands on this. He's a, he's a textualist, and he's basically saying, look, if it's not in the Constitution, why are we involved in this in the first place? It's a good question. Probably ill-conceived decision, Roe v. Wade. Not to say that abortion should be illegal, only to say that the federal government shouldn't have anything to do with it. It's a state's rights issue, and states should be determining, determining uh, what happens in their states with regard to abortion. But second of all, where in the argument is any discussion about the, the rights of the baby? And uh, we've learned so much in the last 50 years, ultrasounds, all this information that we have right now, we understand a lot better uh, what's going on in the womb with these uh, young babies that were, in fact, we're seeing babies born as, as early as 22 weeks if the right equipment is available at the hospital. So uh, it's kind of a moving target right now. And uh, as I've learned more and more about this, I'm more, you know, I'm, one thing is for sure, I'm for women's rights, but I'm also against murder, no matter whether the, uh, the person is in the womb or uh, already born irrespective, we need to protect babies' rights, too. So I think, I think Thomas's questions are right on board. It also, uh, the Supreme Court justices look like they're pretty much going to be very actively involved in this decision. We'll see what happens. We'll find out in June what the decision is. Big case in the Supreme Court. Well, Kyle Rittenhouse is no longer enrolled at the Arizona State University, where a mob of left-wing students have called for his expulsion despite Rittenhouse is being acquitted of all charges. Kyle Rittenhouse has not gone through the ASU admission process, a university spokesperson said. Uh, university records show that he's not currently enrolled in any classes at ASU. He was enrolled on an online student at the university, according to a report from Tucson.com. ASU has confirmed earlier this month that Rittenhouse had been taking classes as an online student for its session starting on October the 13th, but wasn't enrolled in the Edson College of Nursing and Health, the news of Rittenhouse no longer being enrolled at ASU comes after a mob of socialist students demanded the school expel the 18-year-old, who they called a racist, bloodthirsty murderer, despite the fact that a jury found Rittenhouse acted in self-defense. Makes me think that all these students that are in this mob that are making these demands should be forced, first of all, to watch the entire, <laughs> uh, uh, the, you know, the entire. Uh, trial, and number two should be required to take justice, social justice, or uh, 
the Justice of the United States 101. The socialist students that laid out their list of demands, which includes expelling Rittenhouse and for the university to release a statement against white supremacy and racist murder Rittenhouse, the demands honing in on racism and white supremacy and especially bizarre, given the attackers that uh, Rittenhouse shot in self-defense were all white. Rittenhouse has also said he supports the Black Lives Matter movement. The radical left-wing students nevertheless maintained that Rittenhouse's not-guilty verdict is merely evidence of a flawed justice system and insisted that the 18-year-old is still guilty in the eyes of the people. <laughs> uh, mobs. Rittenhouse uh, recently said that uh, he took a compassionate withdrawal from two ASU classes due to being overwhelmed during his trial. But by the way, not all students at ASU are quote-unquote woke. After the radical left demanded his uh, withdrawal from classes, a local college student has organized a rally to support Kyle Rittenhouse and his right to study at Arizona State University. The rally is taking place today at 3.30, by the way. Kind of interesting. So glad to see that uh, some students are standing up for individual rights. President Joe Biden is to blame for how divided the United States has become. A majority of respondents told a poll conducted by Trogelfar Group According to the study, uh, the survey, which was provided to the Daily Caller, 54.2% of respondents said that Biden is responsible for the current divisions in national politics, with 39.4% saying he was very responsible, and about 15% saying he was somewhat responsible. Only 45.9% said Biden had little to do with divisions, while 12.6% said he was not very responsible. Although 78.7% of Democrats did not connect Biden with any divisions in the United States. Can you believe that? 78, almost 79%. Nope, he's got nothing to do with it. (laughs) 88% of Republicans and 64% of uh, independents said the uh, president was at least somewhat responsible for the situation. Uh, During the 2020 campaign, Biden ran mainly on a message of unity, but many have criticized him, saying he's moved far to the left since entering the White House. No question about that. Well, this is such an interesting story, and we're not going to be able to cover it uh, right now. We'll come back to it hopefully later in the show, or at least tomorrow. But an elderly COVID-19 patient has recovered after a court order allowed him to be treated with ivermectin in the hospital. hospital refused to allow it. I took it to court. His wife took it to court. We had one. The hospital first refused, said, no, we're not going to administer this drug. And the judge finally said, what's the downside? And uh, they said, well, there's not a lot of downside at all. And the judge says, I'm I'm ordering you to give him the drug. Guess what? He came off his deathbed. He's alive and doing well right now. Unbelievable. Uh, First, do no harm. Isn't that what the Hippocratic Oath says? Well, some uh, doctors aren't necessarily following the Hippocratic Oath. Some hospitals as well. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Stay in the know and be up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Oops, that's the wrong button. Here's the right one. 
more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care? If they have a need, we are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's CallYourSeniorResources.org or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app for Choice Social at choicesocial.us, at the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, New York University professor of politics, Lawrence Mead. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is people like all of us that care about our children, that want our children to have a good education, that want to help bring solutions to solve the problems that that are, are inherent in education so that kids can love going to school. It's time for them to find school more than a challenge, but a thing that they embrace and can hardly wait to get to, and we work toward that end to try to help kids have that kind of education. Uh, GoFLCA.com is the website. Terrific organization. I've been responsible for overturning Common Core, for improving our standards for education here, public education here in Florida. Just a number of fronts just done a great job. So I encourage you to support. GoFLCA.com is the website. Hey, you've got a, a big event coming up. 
Yes, and people can go to that website you just mentioned, goflca.com, and learn all about it. We have been having a Constitution series to help people understand the the importance of the Constitution and really the brilliance of the people that, that wrote that and how it's helped us so much. And, and we've had a number of special guests. And next Thursday, December 9th, we have invited General Jerry Boykin to come to our event and talk to us about the Constitution, his experiences in that. General Boykin was Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence during the uh, George W. Bush administration. He's been around the Army and the military for 36 years. He was, for, for 13 of those years, a commando with the Delta Forces. Uh, he, he's had a lot of experience, and he's just a terrific guy. So people need to sign up and come early and, and meet the general. He's easy to talk to. Uh, I'd be happy to introduce you to him. Uh, it's just, I, I don't, it's, it's really unusual when you have people like this in person, the perspective you get. Last night I was able to attend an event with uh, someone a lot of people have heard of, General Michael Flynn. Sure. And just hearing him talk, it's a totally different perspective that you hear in person from people than what you get through news reports and other things. And General Boykin is going to bring that to to us next Thursday. So I really invite people to come. It's going to be great. Okay, go FLCA is the website. Linda and I have already signed up. We're looking forward to the event. And uh, again, get the time and the place. Yeah, it's going to be at the Silver Spot. Probably people know where that is. Silver Spot Cinema in Naples. And it's going to be at 6 o'clock. The doors open at 5.30, so come early so you can talk to the general. And uh, we're going to have a great time. And if you have uh, a junior or senior in high school, there's an essay contest. All of these events, we we give away a $1,000 scholarship to an essay contest winner. So that's real money, and it really helps the students in their education. So if you know a student, have them go to that same website, goflca.com, look under the events section, and all of the essay contest information is there. So... It, it's it's a great way to participate. We really want to invite people to do it. The more, the merrier. Yeah, great opportunity for all of us. So thank you, Pastor Rick. So uh, could you give us an update on what's happening legislatively in terms of public education? Well, sure. The legislature is an always interesting place to, to be involved in. And, and the good news for us is the bills that we've been working on and trying to, to uh, advance are all in bill writing as of yesterday. Hmm. Uh, it was a little bit dicey, but... We have gotten people to agree to put them in bill writing. Now, that's significant because they can't be filed until they've gone into bill writing. And there are deadlines for all of these things. And so we were right at the at the last minute. One of our friends in the legislature had overlooked some of the things, but got it done. So all of the things we're working on, like harmful materials, an opt-in bill to put parents in charge of things. Uh, it's a little bit wonky, somebody might say, but we, we really need a legal definition of instructional materials. Uh, that's that school districts have used that to kind of fudge on a lot of things we think are important. And then, of course, the supplemental materials policy. A lot of schools use a lot of materials that aren't on their, like, curriculum list or approved stuff that they, that's gone through the whole process. And we think they need to have a policy for how to select and use supplemental materials. So mm. all of those things are at least alive and well. We'll see how it unfolds. One of the really interesting things popped up yesterday, and this is, I mean, when you work in the legislature, even a little bit like we do, you're always surprised. Well, a representative out of Hillsborough County, Representative Beltran, filed a bill, and it deals with some of the harmful materials that we've been talking about for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't been working with Representative Beltran 
I can't remember if I've met him. I, I, I don't think I ever have. But he filed a bill, and this is fascinating, Bob, dealing with harmful materials in the same statute that we've been talking about, 847.012, and he just made it simple. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what he has in mind, but there's an exception in there. Now, it sounds a little confusing to people, and I don't mean to be confusing, but the bill is really, or the, the law is really strong. It says you can't have these kind of materials in schools, but then it gives an exception. Uh, related to instruction and things like that, which on the face of it, people might say, well, that makes sense. But then that's used because there's no definition of instruction materials, a lot of other things, to make the way for all kinds of offensive stuff that parents would never want their children exposed to. Right. Well, Representative Beltran just took that exception out. It's just remarkable. So who knows? It's going to be an interesting session. There's no doubt about it. We're hoping for really good things on a lot of levels. Well, you know, it's possible that he has ex uh, experienced the reach of the Florida Citizens Alliance because you've got a lot of folks out there now who are advocates for their for your agenda, and perhaps he's talking to some of the constituents. You're not even aware of these conversations, but perhaps you had some <laughs> influence on that. Well, I, I, that has crossed my mind. I, I, You know, we're reluctant to take a credit for a lot of those kind of things, but there may be some of his constituents exactly that have heard what we've been talking about and have gone to him and said, hey, can't we do something about this? And, you know, lots of people say, can't we do something about this? But he's actually stepped up and is doing something about it. And, and not only that, but most people are aware when you're a member of the Florida House, you have a limited number of bills that you can file every session. And he took one of those slots that he has, one of his bill slots, and filed this bill. It's just remarkable. Sometimes yeah. you get encouraged by what the legislature does, don't you? <laughs> exactly. Again, Pastor Rick Stevens, I just encourage you, this big event coming up on December 9th, it's going to be fantastic to meet uh, General Boy uh, Boykin, opportunity to uh, associate with, with like-minded folks who really want the best for our kids in public education here in Florida. GoFLCA.com is the website. GoFLCA.com. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Lawrence Mead. He is a professor of politics at New York University. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. It's now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.optimaed.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Hello. Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich. Right now we have with us New York University professor of politics, Lawrence Mead. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Professor? Yeah, I can barely hear you. I'm so sorry, Professor. Is this better? Uh, not really. Well, you were louder when you first came on. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Well, this is about the best I could do under the circumstances, Professor, but I'll, okay. try, I'll try to speak up. So uh, you wrote this book, Burdens of Freedom, uh, Cultural Differences in American Power. Maybe you can tell us about it. Uh, well, Burdens of Freedom is an argument about cultural difference. It basically says that the United States is facing a division between cultures that are dominant, which are those that came from Europe, which is true for most of the society, but also minorities come from other parts of the world where they have a different view of the world, a different view of what life's about. And that difference is the principal reason why we have serious poverty and also immigration problems. So uh, that's the main argument. It, it goes into the deep history of how these divisions arose, the causes, and so on and so on. It's quite a radical book. No one else has emphasized this at all. Um, but that's the overall argument. Yeah. Uh, and what we're talking about today is an aspect of that. Yeah, and the, the column that you've written in townhall.com, you can find the yeah. column there, The Border Crisis and American Culture. Uh, Professor, maybe you can tell us about it. Uh, well, the border crisis uh, in that article is, I attribute it basically to three things. One is that uh, uh, when Biden took office, he made clear that he was going to be more uh, cautious about enforcing the border, and therefore that promoted a lot of further immigration across the border from Mexico and Central America. Uh, a second factor is that the legal aspects of immigration have pretty well collapsed. Uh, under current rules, pretty much anybody can come to the United States illegally and expect to stay. Uh, in theory, those claims are adjudicated, and most of them are rejected, but by that point, the people who make the claims are have disappeared into the society. So what we have here is a, an open door for essentially illegal immigration, and that is, I think, the major reason why we can't restrict the border. Uh, the third factor is simply that the politics 
of immigration are extremely one-sided. All the groups involved in the issue favor more immigration rather than less. They essentially uh, oppose any limits, uh, and they are, however, not what the public feels at all. The public is wants limits. They want to have some way to control what's coming, but they are not heard in Washington at all. So the politics of this and also the media are entirely in terms of the hardship faced by the migrants mm-hmm. and not about the, uh, the effects that this has on the society. And I think that's mistaken. We have to worry about what this is doing to society. Yeah, we, let's talk about that. But before we do, though, I mean, I'm all for immigration as well, but I, I want it merit-based, and I want it based on the law. We, yeah. we certainly need some immigration reform, uh, some legal reform. But that said, uh, we just can't have people coming in here. They could be murderers, coming, <laughs> they could be terrorists, could be all kinds of things. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about uh, the uh, the bad effects that perhaps unlimited immigration may be having on our culture. Well, the the reason I'm concerned is that the people who are coming today are very different from those who uh, came to America in the fir- in the previous large wave of immigration, which was in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. They were mostly coming from Europe, and as a result, they were less different from the dominant culture here than is true today. Today's immigrants are coming from mostly from Latin America, also from Asia, and and these groups are coming from societies that are not individualistic. They don't have an idea that life is about pursuing your personal goals. And also, the, the, rather, they, they think of life in terms of adjustment, of getting along, of survival. So it's a much more modest view than the one that is held by most Americans. And the second factor is that the way they understand right and wrong is more situational. It has more to do with the group that they're in, uh, with their family, their region. Uh, they don't really form general judgments about this, whereas the Western way is to form a general judgment and to have attitudes about right and wrong that are more principled Mm -hmm. and more internalized. So that is why America is able to be a free country at the same time, uh, maintain order and allow there to be uh, uh, the rule of law and so on. That, That combination requires an individualist culture. And the groups coming in now don't have that. So they, now, they learn it over time. It takes several generations, however, and it requires that there be a requirement that they adjust. And right now, those requirements have lapsed. Essentially, the inflow is so great that migrants are simply going to the cities in large numbers and, and dominating the school system, and then where they do very poorly, because the schools are individualistic. They assume that people are there to get ahead, and they have to learn and also compete to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And competition is something that most people coming across the border have not experienced. They don't really know about that. Mm-hmm. And so they don't do well, and they suffer serious social problems. This is different from what happened 100 years ago. Yeah. But we don't reckon with that. We assume that everyone's the same, that uh, the groups that were coming today are just like the Irish and Italians in the past. And unfortunately, that isn't true. Yeah. They have a much harder time assimilating, and that's why we have to restrict the inflow. Well, you know, the uh, Italians, the Irish that came, uh, they formed their own uh, ghettos, let's call them, uh, when they first came here. But I think, they, uh, to your point, they all had wanted to adopt to the American way of life. They wanted the yeah. opportunity. My concern, and based on your column, is the fact that we have these same ghettos uh, forming right now with these new immigrants that may not want to conform to or uh, buy into the American way. And the consequence is that you end up with dual cultures. Yeah. Uh, that, I think that's what's happening. Now, I don't think that it's not as if 
people are against assimilation. I think the advocates are against it. They they believe the culture should not be forced to assimilate. Mm-hmm. The average immigrant is more open to that, but it's a great change. To have to take responsibility for your life and the way you have to do in this country is quite unlike what these people have faced in the old country. Mm-hmm. And And also, they don't get the same pressures from outside society about good behavior. The Americans think of themselves as freer, so we don't impose obvious restraints on the way people live. And so that's why we, we, self, we find families falling apart. When people cross the border from Mexico, the families begin to fall apart because now they're not being told what's good and bad in the same way by the outside society. And the upshot is that families are collapsing. Yeah. I mean, over half of immigrants from, uh, from, among Hispanics, over half our uh, children are born out of wedlock. That is, they're not involved in marriage at all. Now, and, and that's a, a huge change from even a, several decades ago. Yeah. So the, the collapse of the family is attributable to this cultural difference. And it's also true for blacks. They are not immigrants in the same way because they've been here a lot longer. These are mostly descendants of slavery. But their situation is similar in that they're coming from Africa, which also is a very cautious, collective-minded society where people don't really assume that they're in charge, that they have responsibility. You know, professor- they're getting through the day, and, and that leads to an entrenched culture of, of dependency and deception. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with ability. These are people who very, seldom, very certainly can and do often function in America quite well. I mean, probably a third of blacks in America have become individualists themselves. That's what they should be doing. That yeah. is, in fact, the way forward. But they are uh, un- outnumbered by other people in the group who, who think of life in terms of just getting through Absolutely. And, and who encounter these serious problems. So we've, we haven't faced this before, and we, we, we refuse to face it because we think that to make any mention of this is racist. Yeah. Well, it isn't about race. It's about culture. Yeah. It's about ways of life. And we have to be willing to face that. So this is so such an important concern here. Yeah, it's such an important concern. I, I would just encourage our listeners to go to townhall.com, take a look at uh, Professor Lawrence Mead's column on, it's called The Border Crisis and American Culture, such important observations and uh, conclusions. Also, The Burdens of Freedom uh, 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 by Lawrence Mead as well. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, my, thanks a lot. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Dr. George Markovich. Dr. Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in uh, 2006, and I'm so grateful that he did. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. 
enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art <coughs> performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. By the way, last night, a big uh, opportunity, the groundbreaking ceremony at uh, for Gulf Shore Playhouse. In two years, we'll have this beautiful performing arts center in downtown Naples. But let's not forget about getting great tickets for great performances. GulfShorePlayhouse.org is the website. GulfShorePlayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us my orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I'm so grateful for it. Dr. George Markovich, doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Good morning. Always a pleasure. Say, I've been reading a little bit uh, the real uh, Anthony Fauci. It's kind of an interesting book about uh, his role that he's played in the last couple of years with regard to public health care. <laughs> and I would be interested in getting your thoughts. My thoughts are that this guy has been one of the most dangerous products of. Uh, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't even say he's a doctor, okay? So he went to medical school. That's the only thing that I think that differs him from Dr. Jill Biden. Uh, he did go to medical school, but he has been a researcher. Uh, he has not been a clinician. He doesn't see patients. He is a failed researcher. Mm -hmm. He worked on some vaccines earlier in his career, which were abject failures. And Somehow he's put on a perch, largely because uh, he had a mentor that was, uh, you know, kind and supportive. Uh, but this is a different kind of animal. Uh, he's a politician, mm -hmm. and he's an opportunist. And uh, through his perch, where he became the highest paid government employee uh, over many, many years, and also probably taking a cut of the action on NIH grants, he has amassed enormous power in his mind uh, and in the minds of others yeah. because they can utilize him as the doctor uh, that gives uh, his opinions. Um, but I am quite uh, distressed, especially over the last week or so, where this individual 
called himself science. Yeah. Uh, science is an opportunity for discourse. It's an, when I present a paper in a science, and I've been a researcher, I've been, a, and I am a clinician. Uh, but when I present papers and when I uh, engage in scientific inquiry, I have hypotheses that I expect other people to disagree with and challenge me, so that I could do better towards either proving it or disproving it, mm-hmm. uh, based on scientific methods, not just. Uh, opining and uh, saying that what I say is above recourse. It's awful. It's terrible. And he's been wrong a lot more than he's been right. Yeah. You know, doctor, and and here's the thing. I've never seen him reference any kind of a study or any kind of scientific research with regard to the opinions that he spews over time. And uh, he's a liar. I mean, he is just outright. I mean, Rand Paul, he listened to his testimony. He said, before we start this, I'm going to give you an opportunity to recant uh, your testimony previously, when you said that there was uh, nothing coming out, you weren't engaged at all in funding the Wuhan lab and other and research there, and uh, he would not do it, and he, he did it. I mean, the evidence is there. He lies about it, and now he says, "I am science." If you disagree with me, you're lying, and I am science. <laughs> he is a his it, pox it's incredible on- humorous. <clears throat> it's incredible hubris. It's nothing like I've ever seen. But then again, I'm seeing things now that I've never seen. And I want to know how many people have died in the military from COVID. I want to know the true transmissibility beyond natural immunity. Mm-hmm. I want to know how dangerous a coronavirus really is in terms of uh, <clears throat> transmissibility towards significant clinical conditions. This disease has, this coronavirus has been a disease uh, that affected obese people with comorbidities that had failed treatments initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that was because they got information from other sources that weren't credible, a.k.a. China. So we know a lot about how to treat this now, <clears throat> and the vaccines and masks and all this other stuff is fear-mongering, in my view, and uh, exerting government control. And it's a dangerous precedent of which this guy is front and center. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, and, and any time a, a therapeutic comes up, like ivermectin, which, by the way, a couple of interesting stories that have uh, just been revealed about me- people who have been saved by ivermectin through a court order. The re- hospital refused to administer ivermectin, and it's because of the great influence of Dr. Fauci, who does not want any kind of therapeutics out there, which I guess would threaten the uh, emergency use of the vaccines right now so that uh, they try to fend off any kind of therapeutics and just hold out the vaccine as the cure-all for everyone. Bob, I think it's about submission. I think it's about uh, people uh, kowtowing to the great power. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to your parents. Listen to, you know, the government. And Mm -hmm. it's overreach. And, And this guy, Fauci, uh, is somebody that I really have very, very little respect for. I think he should be shown the door. I think we need to bring people that respect science and respect the validity of science uh, to uh, enter into this phase where uh, this disease becomes controllable. It's, it's not going to be removed tomorrow. You know, it, it, these uh, pandemics uh, have a way of working their way uh, through a course. It's like ripples on a pond. Mm-hmm. Variants are absolute. They happen every time. 
<clears throat> and we have to get to the, the bottom of why it happened in the first place and what we can do moving forward in terms of treatments. Uh, the vaccines actually have conferred uh, fairly unimpressive immunity in my right. mind, right. Um, short, short-acting. Uh, luckily, this is a very transmissible virus, unluckily, but luckily the mortality rate is very low unless you have significant comorbidities or unless you have some kind of weird genetic predisposition. So these are the things we know. Yeah. And uh, we also know that lockdowns and uh, wearing masks and all this kind of stuff doesn't work. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I feel very comfortable saying that from a scientific standpoint. Right. Well, Dr. Uh, Scott Atlas, for example, was just absolutely skewered for his comments uh, when he was working with uh, uh, Donald Trump, President Trump. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is he, he is evidence-based. He wants to take a look at the evidence, and he wants to be challenged on the evidence, have a discourse about it. That, that couldn't happen with Dr. Fauci. You know, anybody who challenges what he has to say, well, they've got to take a look at their funding. If they need any money at all from NIH or other types of resources, it's not going to be forthcoming. He controls so much of what happens in public medicine. Indeed, and that's why we really need to look at this uh, through different eyes. I, I think our political system is, is very broken. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, the technology sector has kind of figured that out, have decided to align with different elements. And, you know, I see, I see a lot of the similar things happening that we've seen in history in the past that have not led to good directions. And before that kind of stuff happens, uh, it'd be nice if, uh, you know, people looked at things differently and more reasonably and more rationally. Yeah, I mean, uh, our our civilization is in peril, quite frankly. I've never, the precipitous drop that we've seen in uh, our rights as human beings under the United States Constitution has just been amazing. Nobody, I can't believe it could happen in just two years. We've seen most of our rights uh, uh, prescribed by the Bill of Rights kind of disappear. Uh, well, we live in a good state where yeah. we have people that kind of see that, that can push back the way they can. And, and you know, I think we've been accustomed to reacting, uh, you know, very quickly uh, one direction or the other, depending on what we hear, see, and believe. Uh, you know, when we take a deep breath, uh if, if people basically said, look, I am going to act the way I think is right. Rugged individualism is what this country was founded upon. Right. That's the genius of the American experiment. Yeah. And I think that if people who are rational took a deep breath and said, look, this is as far as it's going to take. We got to, you know, if somebody says they represent science and they're not willing to listen to other points of view, they got to go. Absolutely. Let's Dr. start there. Absolutely. Dr. George Markovich, again, replaced both my knees in 2006. I'm so grateful for the care that you gave me and for my good health as a consequence of your intervention in my life. So uh, if you if you got sore joints, if you got a problem, if you're d- dealing with arthritis, uh, Dr. George Markovich, the phone number, got a pencil? Write this down, 482 5399 482 5399 Doctor, uh, if I could take 30 seconds. Sure. I want you to know a quote from Winston Churchill. It's, it's worth repeating based on our discussion. Great. Truth is incontrovertible. <clears throat> it can't be denied or disputed. Panic may resent it. 
Ignorance may deride it. Malice may distort it. But there it is. Great quote. Great way to end the interview, Dr. George Markovich. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right. Come up. Really good friend. Coming up, uh, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity maximize your tax deduction support your favorite charity and help a local child in need by calling naples auto donation center naples auto donation center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer just call nadc at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there you get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by nadc goes to friends of foster children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government does and provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Mayor Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, my pleasure, as always, on this gorgeous Thursday morning in sunny Naples, Florida. Isn't it great? It's wonderful. So uh, I know there's been a couple of city council meetings since we've last talked, and I noticed there's also been a raise of, uh, I think it's union employees within the city, 9% over a couple of years. Uh, but I know you were concerned about first responders and uh, what they're doing in terms of income. Uh, just any thoughts? Well, let me tell you, Bob, yesterday's, yesterday's council meeting, I don't know, some people might say it was, it was a good meeting. I, I don't know too many that would, though. They were, other than Gary Price, I'm going to, I'm going to exonerate Gary because um, he he's always at the at the end of a six to one negative negative vote, uh, and he's about the only one that knows what's going on there. And unfortunately, he won't be 
I don't think he's going to be running for council. Um, he hasn't officially announced it, but, you know, unless there's a, a, a miracle that happens, he won't run for council in this February coming up. But um, yesterday, I think I think the rest of the council are, are, are in somewhat of a, uh, a panic mode because they're getting a lot of heat because it is an election. Um, and they're getting a lot of criticism from the public because it's come out of how underpaid the employees are. Uh, the first responders especially mm -hmm. are way below what they're supposed to be. So we can kind of split this a little bit. But one thing I have to tell you is that Hutchison, who is the biggest campaigner, and he's just he just can't talk enough. Uh, and almost everything this guy says is... Um, you know, is about something he can do or he's done or whatever, and it's kind of nauseating to listen to him. <laughs> but yesterday, he comes up with a brilliant idea that uh, that we need to give all the employees need to get a, a raise, a Christmas bonus, and he decided that the number would be a $1,000 Christmas bonus to every employee, okay, in the city of Naples. And then somebody asked the question, well, how many employees do we have? They asked Pete Maria, the uh, interim city manager. Well, how many employees do we have? And Pete looked around and he says, about 500 and something, right? Mm -hmm. So Mr. Hutchison wants to hand out a $500,000 bonus, regardless of, of what agreements were made or anything else. Um, I don't think it passed. I don't think they even voted on it. They just listened to him. Um, and um, they're just shooting from the hip, Bob. Yeah, uh, it's, un it's unfortunate. You'd like to think that it'd be a kind of a deliberative body and they'd be prepared. I'm sure that the staff is, has them prepared for such issues like pay raises and so forth. But uh, it, was there any discussion about the first responders that you've been so concerned about? Well, yes. Um, I mean, they're in negotiations, okay, and with contract negotiations. So something should happen, I would say, you know, either before the holidays or right after. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's no guarantee that, that it's going to be an agreed-upon deal because those are private negotiations. You know, they're not, they're not open where you can go and sit in and, uh, and, and, uh, and listen um, to when the council, at least when the council gets down to deciding on what they want to do. So um, uh, who knows what they're going to do? But as I say, they, they all know that they have to step up to the plate. Okay, they're going to blame it on prior councils, of course. But you know, Bob, I'm going to say one thing uh, before we we do run out of time today, is that the way they were talking yesterday and sticking their noses into uh, into salaries and what what should be paid and how you know all, all the things that they were bringing up, I the charter clearly says, and I've said it on your show many times when I was mayor, and you and I have had conversations about it. The, the city charter says the responsibility when you're elected, okay, to represent the, the public, you, the council, are policy makers, okay? Mm -hmm. We set the policy. We give it to management to carry out. It, it is really as simple as that. Uh, the micromanaging that goes on there, and, of course, the, the mayor is oblivious. Um, she says, well, I didn't know about this, or I didn't know about that, or nobody told me about this. Well, <laughs> I don't think she was supposed to be told about some of the stuff that she's talking about. It, it has to do with management. And it has to do with contract negotiations and everything else. Anyway, I'm on a high horse this morning, yeah, so no, I it's, don't know. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I just really appreciate it. Hey, by the way, I mentioned to you last night, uh, Linda and I went to the uh, ceremony surrounding the groundbreaking for Gulf Shore Playhouse. 
Yeah. And it was just a really an outstanding, outstanding event. Of course, I'm so proud because having served as board chairman for 15 years, to get to the point now where we're breaking ground, and in two years we're going to have this magnificent performing arts center in downtown Naples. And I guess what I want to say is that so much of it is in, you know, you've been so supportive, is under your guidance and leadership that we're able to strike a public-private partnership uh, for uh, making sure that we have a garage attached to uh, the playhouse. It's going to serve the city needs, and it's also going to serve the patrons of Gulf Shore Playhouse. Well, I, I was glad to be involved from the beginning, Bob. Uh, you kind of, you know, when, you, when you're when you out of office and, you know, people, everybody is excited, and I, I kind of sit back. Um, I saw pictures of the ceremony and everything. It was, you know, really, really nice and uh, very happy. For, for everybody involved in that. And, uh, um, you know, I, I'm i glad to have taken a uh, an integral part in that, but with my counsel that I had then, because, you know, granted, the mayor can be supportive as I was and, uh, and, and, and get some things done, which we certainly did. You and I know we, we, we had some battles there, um, but we overcame everything, and, and the end result is going to be phenomenal, and that's what it's all about. It's, yeah. you know... Uh, so to, 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 to respond to you, thank you so much for those kind words. Uh, absolutely. Again, Bill Barnett, Barnett, former mayor of Naples, and now outspoken commentary about what's happening <laughs> here locally. I'm so great. <laughs> let me tell you, only outspoken, you might as well take the credit for it, only outspoken on the Bob Harden show. <laughs> I'm so grateful for your but comment. Nobody too. else wants to listen. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, no, it's just very... I, on, a, on a very serious note, it's very, very sad to if you ever had a chance and it's uh, and you're sitting around. If you replayed some of that meeting from yesterday when mm -hmm. they were talking during correspondence and communication, um, it it was uh, it was it was very sad. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people that watch that and say, "What are they doing?" You know, sticking their nose where it doesn't belong. And and the campaigning, of course, you know, with an election February first, Bob, it's. Um, you know that you you can you can absolutely see that somebody flipped the switch. Yeah, well, you know what? With uh, campaigning coming up in February, we we need to be talking about some of the candidates and who you'd recommend for city council in January. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that because the election is February first. Absolutely. Again, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, always appreciate your commentary on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Bob. Have a great one. Bye. You as well. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I learned a lot. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Keith Maples from the Neighborhood Health uh, Clinic will be with us as well. That big, big story on the $13 million uh, campus being completed. Also, we'll be visiting with Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. And Michael Cannon is Director of Health Studies Pol Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.